Chapter Eleven of Woodcraft Boys at Sunset Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elaine Conway, England. Woodcraft Boys at Sunset Island by May Fulwell Hoisington and Lillian Elizabeth Roy. Chapter 11 Witter Tonkin Left in Charge At breakfast Sunday morning, Mrs. Remington announced a startling piece of news. Friends, children, and Sagamore in the making, I have to surprise you. Aunt Edith and I are going to Boston on a visit. While I'm away, you girls are to stay with Aunt Flo Flo at Rosemary. Anna and Teddy are going to Isola Bella, and you boys are to remain with Fred in charge of the island. How do you like the plan? A mixed chorus arose. Oh, don't go. And fine, fine. We'll be good. And how long will you stay? Mrs. Remington laughed but waited to hear from Fred. He rose and, keeping an eagle eye on his future vassals, proclaimed order will be kept or i witchetongan will perish in the attempt woof a black bear has spoken when you're in charge you can really earn your title of island chief fred remarked elizabeth when are we going to mrs charlton's asked trixie i suppose you girls can wait and see me off you can pack your suitcases for a week or ten days and the captain can set you ashore at the rosemary landing after leaving me at the steamer wharf we are going by the boston boat you know it is much cooler what a bustle there was during the two days that ensued on monday aunt flo flo and mrs charlton came in the orion to visit the islanders i thought it best to come over and take an inventory of my ready-made family laughed aunt flo flo oh i'd be good as saints if you'll only take us on enough motor trips to last a month exclaimed elizabeth maybe the boys would like to sail over for a day's trip too suggested aunt edith but the boys had disappeared from the porch fred had given them the high sign for a powwow to behold in his teepee immediately that evening the girls begged to be told what was the cause of the serious and animated power portentous looks were all the answer returned while mrs remington remained in the room say who wants to walk to the south end of the island and watch the tide come in in the moonlight asked fred when it was found that his mother expected to remain in the room everyone declared they wanted to see such a sight and soon the room was vacated and quiet mrs remington being occupied with her written orders for mose during her absence once down upon the little beach fred announced that he and the others planned to do lots of things that his mother wanted done such as blasting out a big rock in the middle of treasure cove raising a big new flagpole and making a pebble walk along the little log cabin which was mrs remington's sanctuary when she was driven to retirement from the madding crowd she will love that exclaimed elizabeth oh we intend doing lots of other things too bragged billy we're going to cook our own meals over a camp fire declared dudley that's to save mose the work while you girls are away 
added paul listen to him why you boys eat twice as much as all of the islanders together scorned edith besides i don't believe you younger boys can cook a thing came from elizabeth doubtfully i wouldn't want to eat the stuff you cook said trixie fred and bill know a lot about camp cooking and they are going to show paul and me admitted dudley the idea of having the boys do something to surprise and please mrs remington upon her return made trixie and her girls wish to do something for mrs charlton so a conference was held in elizabeth's room to which anna was invited what do you suppose aunt edith would like most asked elizabeth after all were seated i know cried practical little edith what her flower-beds weeded and all that wild grass dug out of the paths oh was the disappointed reception of the commonplace proposition i can wear old gloves you know ventured trixie her hearers laughed as trixie's nails showed the result of the earnest efforts of a city polish of which she was quite proud well we may consider edith's plan as a side work grudged elizabeth with no other inspiration seemed on tap mrs remington was not permitted to forget her promise to take everybody on the metric for a last farewell to her at the camp grounds where the boston boat stopped for passengers whether it was the farewell the sail or the fun on the mainland that was the inducement she wisely refrained from questioning what if it rains wondered edith oh we can wear clothes that won't be damaged by a drop of rain said elizabeth trixie can wear her checked skirt if it's rain you want played billy now then i'll wear it just for spite retorted trixie i'll prove to you by the sunshine that the checks are not arrangings tuesday dawned clear and sunny therefore proving trixie's statement to be true the merry party set out directly after lunch as mrs remington remarked that the boston boat was very early at odd times especially so if one happened to be a little late a metric's engine helped her buck the tide while bill remarked sure have got a favourable puff it was almost low water when they reached the wharf and the medric had to be anchored off the landing while her passengers were set ashore in the tender the moment feet were on terra firma the owners started for the post office and general store where candy and cake were sold but on the way a tin typer's caravan was found resting by the side of the main road from the wharf and the diversion was invaded and well patronised that day the meagre delights of the campground were soon exhausted and time hung heavily upon the hands of the active islanders then mrs remington announced that the boston steamer would be an hour late that day oh why do we leave our happy home wailed billy think of all the fun we are missing added paul there are certain joys in a lingering farewell but i say that some of them are drawn out much too long remarked fred how how laughed the other boys and mrs remington joined even at the expense of her own feelings the question still remains before us what to do with this extra hour the gods bestowed mourned elizabeth who had had visions of rosemary in the sunset glow i ran over and asked that jitney man who is watching us as if we were outlaws said fred starting off across the road the man was very communicative we had nothing else to do at the time 
thar's a merry-go-round back over that hill it was running all morning and i guess it's there thar still just the thing replied fred thanking him the suggestion met with instant acceptance and everyone started for the hill designated but a disappointment awaited them the merry-go-round was deserted with the sole exception of a small tow-headed boy however fred was equal to the emergency come one come all these steeds shall run around the track till set a sun shouted he beckoning wildly but mrs remington would not allow him to tamper with the engine or carousel so she questioned the small boy who turned out to be the proprietor's son now you run and find your daddy and tell him we want two dollars worth of rides promised mrs remington at the munificent offer the barefooted urchin showed a swift and dusty pair of heels to the would-be riders and soon returned with both father and grandfather the latter being the patriarch of the money till isn't this fun i've always wanted to ride on america round cried trixie maybe you won't think it fun after a ride said paul you just watch me and see boasted trixie smiling i'm going to climb on the animals while we're waiting for the man to start up the engine proposed billy me for the lion shouted dudley as he mounted the king of beasts paul let's ride the white horses side by side and pretend we're running a race suggested trixie betcha a cookie i'll beat laughed paul you wouldn't beat me if these were real horses i can ride anything even a colt teased trixie oh well that colt of the captain's was green and full of fire the captain says so said paul defendingly the carousel began to turn slowly by this time and with many a wheeze and groan it gathered momentum everyone laughed at its slowness at first but the urging on of their steeds must have infected the merry-go-round for it soon whirled at a surprising speed mrs remington sat near the old white-bearded ticket-chopper watching the different expressions on the children's faces as the carousel went round when the first slow circle was made trixie had laughed merrily and cried oh this is a real joy-ride when it went somewhat faster she remained silent and she spun around on the horse passing mrs remington at rapid intervals her face looked grey and her eyes seemed fixed oh we surely are going too fast gasped she finally oh no we'll go faster than this just hold on cheered paul oh i'm sure i'm slipping off oh oh wailed trixie you're all right just stick on laughed paul oh paul i'm getting so dizzy i'll fall i'll steady you here grab hold of the horse with your knees and hang on to the iron pole in front advised paul there goes my hat and oh the old thing has shaken out all my side combs came from trixie weakly never mind that just hold on i can't hold another minute keep a stiff upper lip now trix we're slowing down encouraged paul throwing an arm about the girl as she swayed uncertainly and indeed the awful swell did slacken and in a few more moments with one last yawp the hurdy-gurdy gave up the spirit of music then a very pale and shaky trixie 
was lifted from the racehorse and helped over to a seat beside mrs remington oh wasn't it awful gasped she shuddering awful why it was great cried dudley i should say so look i got the brass ring trixie want it for another try asked billy generously but trixie thought discretion to be the better part of valour she knew from actual experience what a merry-go-round meant so she sat contentedly by and watched the others well when even billy had been sated with the dervish delight mrs remington led her escorts back to the wharf where they found aunt edith and aunt flo flo had arrived from rosemary by land when it was suggested that the girls start back with aunt flo flo at once there was a chorus of protests going to stay as long as anybody and say good-bye retorted elizabeth feeling she would miss some fun the two chiefly concerned in saying farewells thought this persistence worthy of a greater if not a better object but they consented to the delay of the return party and in its own good time the city of rockland bore down upon the landing then the young folks had the gratification of positively knowing by evidence of their own sight that their guardians were well out of the way for a time oh gee we won't do a thing while we're boss sighed billy with a great sense of the time before him some fun i should say ejaculated paul while dudley whistled a medley of, of many tunes and fox-trots and tangos but the island chief rules remember threatened fred while on the way to rosemary the islanders discussed the fact that fine weather broke the hoodoo of trixie's rangings but it hoodooed her in another way my but she was green on that carousel laughed billy i never thought trix could look so sick added dudley i wasn't sick a bit i was only dizzy only my head defended trixie valiantly the boys laughed teasingly and elizabeth looked off at the horizon while groping for her poetic medium finally she turned to trixie it's a shame to wreck a perfectly good poem for i love tennyson dearly but the aptness tempts me beyond measures so here goes the jinx that pursued trixie with apologies to tennyson like souls that balance joy and pain with smiles and cries for help again fair maiden trixie flies with rain upon her good steed's wooden mane the tin-pan music full of cheer her friend's loud laughter came between and far in ticket-box unseen the grey-beard gathered in the green from witter-tonkin there at times the organ piped its song what time twas loud her seemed it long sometimes her courser wheeled along hushed all her cries of bitter wrong by laughing friends with fuller sound in curves the wooden racers ran her drooping head to bob began upon the merry-go-round as in the boyhood of the year sir lancelot and queen guinevere rode through the converts poorly dear and trixie galloped she in fear she seemed apart from her steed spring a gown of faded jet she wore buckled with silver clasps before a light straw hat embroidered o'er with woollen bird a wing now this way leaned she now she let her fear the better of her get and more and more unsteadier yet 
her nervous grasp pulls his shoulder met and fierce and now she grasped the mane then she whose elfin courser springs by night to eerie warblings while all the while that music rings and dins into her brain as she fled fast through sun and shade the happy winds upon her played losing the ringlets from the braid she looked so helpless as she swayed a hat one side a tip poorly had all that he could do to keep himself from falling too he needed all the strength he knew to save her should she slip the classic thus converted by elizabeth was hailed with loud acclaim by the boys but trixie said never a word how the poetess made her separate piece was never told but trixie was as friendly as ever the next time the two appeared together wednesday morning at the earliest permissible tide the captain and the boys were busy drilling into the ledge of treasure cove the boys were deeply interested when they realised that before another tide flowed over that ledge a blast could be set off in the meantime they went fishing and soon had a fine mess of cunners for their camp lunch knowing the extent of the boys appetites moses's tender heart ached in dread of empty stomachs and a raid on his pantry when he was not at hand to defend the fort so he brought a large pan full of biscuits and fixins on the side to the cooks the fixins comprising a hearty meal by themselves oh mose you needn't have taken this trouble we're just going to live a simple life while mother's away said billy yes you see mose we're now serving our toasted bread and baked potatoes sit down and have some with us urged paul mose eyed the charred bread and half-cooked potatoes and winked at the captain i don't believe i will partake of dis munifrance to-day but thank you all the same the captain felt very grateful for mose for his additions to the menu so he added oh do sit down and be friendly mose yes mose i'm just cooking the cunners they're fine added fred a well seen as i fetched a bit from my own domain i don't mind ef i tas some cunners sighed mose he was fond of this fish as fred served him a delicious slab of the broiled fish mose remarked does tas kind of good to eat some other chef's cookin no tanks billy i don't guess i'll have any potatoes the boys took each other a potato and did their best to enjoy them but it was not to be the potatoes were more than half raw let me tell you all said mose after the potatoes had been replaced on the fire taters take a heap of cookin specially when dey's big and not cut up bring them here boys and i'll show you what to do with them offered fred taking the frying pan and dropping a chunk of butter in it then the boys watched and soon learned how to fry and cook potatoes an art many cooks lack now for the blast cried the captain when the dishes and pans had been cleaned with sand and water you boys watch captain and me fix the fuse and then when we yell you must run way up on the porch of mother's retreat and stand there ordered fred three boys were greatly surprised to see captain ed cut the dynamite with his knife as if it were a cheese it looks just like a roll of yellow plasticine said dudley 
It won't act like one, laughed Billy. You know, last year, Captain and Fred blasted out the boulders for our council place, and we had to cover the rocks with logs and things to keep them from flying through the air and smashing the windows, explained Billy, for Paul's and Dudley's benefit. Oh, did you blast for that ring? wondered Paul. I should think we did. We have to blast for everything. There isn't a level spot on the whole island. Did you think the pebbles grew so level and smooth on that council place? laughed Fred. I thought it had to be filled in where any hollows happened to be. But I didn't know you had to blow off the bumps, said Paul in defence. That made the captain laugh. But he now turned and said, Run to cover now, boys. I'm going to light the fuse. So the boys scrambled up the pathway, Fred and the captain lit the fuse, and then ran to hide behind a big spruce. But Paul, curious to note the effect of that harmless-looking cheese, lingered behind the other boys, thus hoping to get a closer view of the explosion. Just as the terrific blast rumbled, Fred sighted the tardy boy. He dashed out, grabbed him roughly, yanked him back to safety, and then pitched into him. "'Don't! You're hurting me, Fred!' whimpered Paul, with a better realisation of his danger, as the rocks began raining down upon the spot where he had just stood. "'You ought to be hurt! Good and plenty, too! Just so you'll never do such a fool thing again! I'm chief of this island, I'll have you to know, and you've got to obey orders!' Billy and Dudley ran to see what had caused the quarrel, and the captain, who had seen the rescue, came over to tell Paul a story as a warning in the future. You boys know the lighthouse just down of Spruce Island, where last year old Captain Ball was blasting out some rocks in the road near his barn. He got careless like at the last, and stood too near, right out in the open, and by heck, a chunk of rock as big as my two fists come plumb down on the top of his head and killed him then and there. Not a minute to think what he wanted done about things. After an impressive silence, the captain added with a certain feeling of satisfaction, but he had a grand funeral, the finest ever given in these parts. One of them, dark harbour millionaires, lent the widow his big private yacht to carry the remains to Metinicus where the captain hailed from. Seeing she hadn't got to pay any cost for shipping, Mrs. Ball put all that money in a casket, and it was so fine that it seemed like a shame to put all them silver handles and satin puffs in the ground. Widow Ball invited everybody to make the trip with the captain, and most everyone accepted the invitation too. There would have been room on that yacht for a few more, it was that big. Yes, sir, that was one grand funeral, what with red plush curtains and willow armchairs everywhere, and a dining room fixed up with painted dishes and sparkling glass. I sometimes wish how old Captain Ball ought to know about that trip. He would have felt better where he is, I'm sure. The boys had listened to the sudden ending of Captain Ball's career without due respect for dynamite and Captain Ed. Finding Paul had not been thoroughly frightened by his tale, drove it well home. But you wouldn't have a good time like Captain Ball. You'd be sent home in a box, and no yacht and crowd of folks to sell to your funeral. So just keep behind a tree after this. Paul suddenly realised how lonely he must feel if he was instantly killed by a rock 
and freighted all the way from Maine to New Jersey, and he felt contrite and humble for a full hour after the incident closed. The rest of the afternoon was given to preparing an old spar for the flagpole. It was about thirty feet in length, so that all the boys worked at the same time in sandpapering and polishing the wood. Next time I'll go over to the cove, I'll have the blacksmith make a collar to go round the masthead, and then we'll have it all ready for the raising, B, before your mother comes back. We want everything done and waiting, so all we have to do when she comes is to hoist the flag, added Billy. The following day, Uncle Tom came over and announced that he was ready to start the rifle range and teach the boys how to handle a gun. Did they say we could? asked Paul eagerly, his desire to obey in certain ways, tinctured by the tale about Captain Ball. Yes, the committee reported favourably, providing that I would keep a watch of you all, and never let you get reckless. So the boys painted a large target on a packing case, and set it up against a rock where a clear range could be had. Uncle Tom chose a spot where no danger to passing boatmen could be incurred. The spyglass was trained upon the target, and each boy was allowed five shots each turn. The use of the glass obviated the many tiresome trip to and from the target to count the score for every boy. Only between the turns did the captain go to the board and put a dab of paint on the marks made by each boy. During these intervals, no one was allowed to load or handle a gun. Captain Ed made a splendid score with Fred's Marlin thirty-eight fifty-five, but Paul and Dudley took a long time to get to the proper range in sight. Their bullets cut into the ledges right and left, so that the captain laughed heartily. When we need more blasting done, there's no use wasting money for dynamite. We'll just ask you two boys to aim at Treasure Cove, and your fire will blow off the top of the ledges. The others tittered, but were too much engaged to care much whether the captain joshed them or not. Then Fred, who stood at the spyglass, called, A hit for Paul! That spurred Dudley to better work, so when it came his turn to try, he took great pains to aim carefully, and was rewarded by seeing the splinters fly from the packing case. Evening came all too soon for the joy of firing real rifles, was intoxicating to the boys. They begged Uncle Tom to be sure, and come over every day, as early in the morning as he could get away. Oh, but I'm scheduled to take the girls out on some of these days, he protested. However, I'll try to get in some regular practising hours with you boys. The rifle range was almost forgotten the next morning. When Captain Ed brought in the mail, an answer from Mr. Remington to Billy's plea for the launch authorised him to go ahead and get it, if the captain says it is all right. As that necessitated an immediate exodus from the island, an eager pilgrimage started for the little landing near Saturday Cove, where lay the coveted craft at her mooring. To the disinterested eye, she seemed old and shabby, to say nothing of dirt. To Billy, however, she was a vision of beauty and a promise of joy. The ex-owner took the lad for a trial spin so that he could learn the tricks of the little engine. Billy disdained the tow offered by Captain Ed and insisted upon returning under his own power. Not for nothing had he watched and helped for weeks with the captain's engines, hoping for the day when he should be captain of his own launch. 
That same night, as they lounged about Fred's teepee, the chief made a suggestion. Now that Captain Bill has a launch, suppose we make an aquaplane. We might start it tomorrow. The idea was met with delighted house, and in the morning all started on the carpenter's job. The plane completed, the boys felt such a pride in the work that they longed for someone to admire it. Besides, they had to have an audience when they aquaplaned, so it came about that all the girls and Art Flo Flo were invited to a bathing party with aquaplaning on the side. The boys drank greedily of the admiration freely poured out by the girls as they stood about the plane. Finally, the girls were invited to try it. Isn't it awfully hard to manage? asked Trixie. Not much harder than that wooden horse on the merry-go-round, teased Paul. Even if you should fall off, you can swim, you know, added Billy. I'll let Elizabeth try it first, generously allowed Trixie. Elizabeth was a splendid swimmer, and nothing on or in water could daunt her, so Billy was soon towing her along after his launch. Gee, that's pretty good, Lizzie, for a girl, I mean, conceded Billy, as he admired the way she stood upright and managed the plane. You needn't have added that last for a girl. Just remember, please, that I learned to swim at a much younger age than you ever did, retorted Elizabeth, ruffled at the hated nickname. Then, when everyone had tried the aquaplane, Aunt Flo Flo had something to say. Won't you boys come over to Rosemary and hold a council for some friends of mine? What with rifle shooting, aquaplaning, and other intense delights, the boys were not as enthusiastic as usual. We're going to have piles of ice cream and delicious cakes, to say nothing of other good things, hinted Elizabeth, a superior knowledge of boys standing out in good stead. Well, seeing that you all want a council so much, maybe we can manage, said Billy, looking at the other boys. All right, when? hastily accepted Art Flo Flo. I suppose Mose will freeze some cream for us as usual on Sunday and Thursday, so we'd better say Tuesday, as that gives us ice cream on an off day, interjected Paul, before anyone could decide. All right, then we can go marketing to Belfast on Monday and spend Tuesday at Rosemary, said Fred. The Tuesday for the council was a lovely day, and Paul took a snapshot of Aunt Flo Flo and her visitors. And the nature cues were claimed by Elizabeth and the three younger boys. Then Trixie formally presented a red scalp to the black bears, and Elizabeth followed suit. Paul and Dudley also paid their four-fitted locks, so that Fred and Bill had a number of brilliant trophies hanging from their belts. Finally, the much-longed-for ice cream was brought, and the pyramids piled up on the boys' plates received sincere applause and attention. Among the cakes passed around were certain cookies that the boys preferred to any others. So good were they that Billy remarked, My, but these are the best ever. Who do you think baked them? asked Trixie eagerly. Not you, anyway, laughed he. Well, smarty, we did. Elizabeth and I made the batter, and Edith cut them out and put them in the pans. Ha! Huh, that's nothing. We cook whole meals at our camp, exclaimed Paul. Yes, sirree. Say, boys, how about that breakfast yesterday? boasted Dudley. Hmm, you ought to have tasted that. Billy went over to Islesboro in his launch and shot five red squirrels. 
We skinned and boiled them for breakfast, and maybe they weren't good, said Fred, abetting the younger boys. What else did you have? queried Elizabeth. Fred baked some pancakes, and we ate and ate and ate, asserted Paul, looking at his companions. I never saw anyone eat so much as they did, except at our clam bakes, said Fred. Well, maybe you baked the pancakes, but Mose was there to advise and start that breakfast going, asserted Trixie. Who told you so? cried a number of voices. We just went over to get something Elizabeth wanted from the island, and you were all gone to Adams's for milk. Mose told us about the squirrels and the funny mistakes you boys made while experimenting on them. And he told us of the towers of pancakes you boys made way with, too. Do you know we haven't had our annual plum bake yet? hastily declared Billy. That's so. As soon as Mother comes home, we must try and get it started, added Fred. Oh, tricks! we have the most wonderful time at these bakes, exclaimed Billy, rolling his eyes and patting his stomach. So, in talking and planning for the clam bake, the thin ice of camp cooking was forgotten, and the character of the boys for being first-class chefs was not completely ruined. End of chapter 11